Please rise. Court is now in session. Justice Facts dissects the most notorious criminal cases making news today. Hello, I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs, here with decorated former federal prosecutor Bill Johnston. We have been up close and personal with serial killers, mass murderers, sexual predators, and terrorists. You name it, and we've seen it. From the crime scene, to the courtroom, to prison, even the death chamber. We take you behind the scenes into the dark drama surrounding these cases from a perspective that you would never experience on your own. Please be advised that some editions may contain graphic descriptions of violent crime. Here's our latest edition of Justice Facts. Those who forget the past are condemned to relive it. I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs here with former federal prosecutor Bill Johnston. That quote by Winston Churchill goes to the heart of today's discussion in this episode of Justice Facts, Current Events and True Crime. Today, politicians cannot remember the past or they're just disregarding what Bill and I exposed in Texas three decades ago. And they are condemning innocent people to violence by letting career criminals arrested for gun crimes and murder out of jail on bail. Dallas County has released 25 capital murder defendants on bail, according to KRLD News. If convicted, they will be sentenced to die by lethal injection or life without parole. Meanwhile, they are out. Bill and I are now reliving a tragic history lesson reported in our other podcast, True Crime Reporter. Back in the late 1980s and early 90s, the Texas parole and prison systems secretly swung open the prison doors to relieve overcrowding. They scraped the bottom of the barrel, as one parole board member later described it. They released more than 80 former death row inmates who had been sentenced to die in the electric chair for capital murder. Among them, serial killer Kenneth Allen McDuff. McDuff became known as the worst sadistic sexual serial killer in Texas history, the only man to receive three death sentences. One day after walking out of prison, McDuff started abducting and murdering young women up and down the Interstate 35 corridor in Central Texas. We will never know just how many women he killed, how many women he buried in remote, isolated places. This we do know. McDuff should never have been released from prison. And hundreds more violent criminals should not have been released on parole. They caused murder and mayhem across the state all in the name of relieving prison overcrowding to stay out of trouble with a federal judge. The carnage triggered a massive overhaul of Texas criminal laws and the building of maximum security prisons. The tidal wave of violence stopped. But there's a new tsunami of violence headed to Texas and many other states. The system and its willful ignorance of history is letting career criminals arrested for violent crimes and capital murder out of jail on bond. So, Bill, here we go again. Yes, uh, and there's a difference, of course, between being convicted of capital murder and being released and being on bond for capital murder. But 
if you look at the criminal history of most of the people they're releasing, it will be no surprise if they don't commit violent acts soon after being released because they're mostly career criminals. And the problem with releasing them on bond is that you have not discouraged their behavior, you somewhat rewarded it. And the uh, real worry that I have for Texas and New York and California and elsewhere is that, yes, they've forgotten. They've forgotten that, yes, everyone has their rights and everyone should be protected uh, in terms of their constitutional rights. But the high point of all crime is capital murder. Why are you releasing them? Well, let's go back to Texas, late 80s, 90s. Uh, you were a federal prosecutor, but it, it got so bad that the crimes committed by these all of these people out of early parole, they started pouring into the federal system. Well, we had a problem in, in my part of Texas with um, state offenders who were being released on bond, who were committing new crimes, being released again, then sometimes being placed on probation, and then they'd get another probation. It was just it was, it was no negative consequence, and they kept committing crimes. And so it was part of my self-imposed mandate as I was a young federal prosecutor to stop that. And the Federal Bail Reform Act helped us because the Federal Bail Reform Act said someone charged with a serious drug case, not ordinary, but serious, or a violent crime, there's a presumption they shouldn't be let out on bond. They're too dangerous. And so we relied upon that. I had, I think, 81 people in jail at one time early in my career. And we resolved every one of those cases within two or three months. People did not languish in jail, but they stayed in jail until they were convicted, and they were all convicted. Well, one of the justifications for this is coronavirus, and then there's this so-called bail reform. Uh, but the public safety doesn't seem to be part of that equation. Robert, public safety is not, not a political issue. It's just not. Um, there is no... Uh, when someone's assaulted in Chicago or Los Angeles or New York or Dallas, nobody's asking what, how they voted, what party they're a member of. Uh, they just know they were a victim. And issues regarding bail for, for non-serious crimes, that's a bit political and that's okay because the point of some bail reform is you shouldn't be punishing poor people who can't make bond. Correct. And that's, that's reasonable. In fact, the Bail Reform Act, Federal Bail Reform Act, really addressed that. And we ended up having a large number of people charged with counterfeiting and postal theft and, you know, pick, pick a nonviolent federal crime. They would just sign their name. They wouldn't post money. They would sign their name. They would be on pretrial release and supervised, but they'd be released. But the violent offender uh, is a different story because uh, – you can't – it's not fair to people who are operating on their daily lives, driving a car down the street, if a guy charged with capital murder who robbed a, you know, a grocery store and killed the clerk is driving next to him looking at him. That's just not fair. Hey, we got a recent situation here. There are many more like it. Um, back in April, Grand Prairie officers out on patrol, they spot a man walking down – the service road for Interstate 20, which is in the south side of Dallas, busy, busy interstate, and he's got a handgun in his hand, open, out. So 
They pull up on him. He they he they refuse. He refuses the officer's commands and opens fire on them. And uh, they weren't struck. They returned uh, fire. Uh, I guess people were bad shots because he got away on foot, but then was apprehended. So earlier that day, he was he was a 28-year-old uh, a career criminal. Earlier that day, he was involved in, in a domestic violence shooting up in Carrollton, uh, and had fled that, but here's the clincher. He was out on bond for resisting arrest and evading arrest charges in Dallas County. They had him, you know, and they had let him go on bail. But he's a career criminal. And the general rule is that if a person is out on bond and commits another offense, now they're remitted to custody and they can't get out on bond again. And with this guy that you're talking about, even that happened. Even after he committed another offense while on bond, he still wasn't put in to stay. And again, yes, he's entitled to a speedy trial under the Constitution, and he will get one. And he can plead guilty or he can plead not guilty and go to trial, but please protect the public at least while he's waiting trial. So let's talk about the mindset of the uh, policymakers, the people that are deciding to, to turn them loose. Now, I saw back with the parole board it was, in a, in a sense, political corruption, and they wanted to cover up the overcrowding and how much trouble they were in and that they needed to build prisons, didn't want to spend money for it. And then, of course, one of the things we know, that covered corruption to, to you know, we're going to take money for letting some guys go because who's going to notice we're letting so many go? Well, you know, and I prosecuted the chairman of the Texas Parole Board at that time in connection with that. Our investigation surrounded whether or not he received money from the McDuff family. Right to let this killer out. But you're you're right. Yeah, in that case, it involved that. And it, again, it doesn't matter what stripe you are. In that case, the very, very conservative Texas governor, Bill Clements, wasn't going to spend another dime of taxpayers' money to build a prison. Well, okay. So we release murderers everywhere and killed Texans. I think they'd rather pay than be killed. Well, and what got me about it is that if you were a member of the parole board or in the administration of the prison system, you knew how bad it was because I mean, I just had come to the state. You'd turn on television, the radio, open the newspaper, and it was these horrific crimes. Uh, and what got you, stranger on stranger, and then the tagline always, out on parole. Then when I would look into it, it was like, out on parole for a few days, few weeks, few months. So it was as if the criminals knew, hey, I'm not going to be held accountable. I mean, they, they know it. They do know it, and that's how you get in a real bad situation, particularly involving, as we're talking about now, these capital murder defendants, because people, no matter their age or circumstance, do respond to negative or positive reinforcement. It's just the way creatures are. And when you have someone in jail for something so bad that they might be even picturing, gosh, am I going to get the death penalty for this? Now I've really done it. And you give them the keys and let them out. It relieves that that stress uh, on a normal person of doing the right thing now. Now it's like, wow, they're out. And it's just, uh, again, it's not a political issue. It's simply a fundamental public safety issue. And, you know, I call the series back then free to kill 
It wasn't just Macduff that was set loose free to kill. I mean, the, the, God, the bloody trail of all of these violent offenders they let out. You know, they, the one parole board member did tell the truth in a Senate hearing and when he said that they were scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, he suddenly told the truth. And then what I found out was they were letting inmates out of what was called administrative segregation. These are the prisons inside maximum security Prisons. The worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. Dangerous to the other inmates. The other inmates are scared to death of them. They were taking them out in the dead of night individually, shackling them in vans, and taking them to downtown Huntsville and letting them go. I mean, by the hundreds. Uh, it's unbelievable. And to me, when you talk about the way they did that, that was sneaky. Uh, there was obviously some shame there in that. I don't see any shame in this uh, so-called bail reform where they're letting the violent criminals out. Uh, as you said earlier, there's an excuse, well, the, the COVID virus. Well, that's that kind of cuts both ways. There are ideas behind that both ways. But again, public safety of a – would someone rather be exposed to a virus or would they be rather be gunned down in the street? Mm-hmm. And and that sounds silly, but that that's a relevant question to this. Yeah, it, what gets me is how could you not know the the repercussions, the tragic repercussions that could come out of this? I mean, do you think they think they're doing good, or uh, it's just politically expedient? It's hard to say what they're thinking, but some people that are in favor of letting again not. Poor people out, not nonviolent, but truly violent criminals out. Um, the way they see, in, in my experience, the way they see the world is that people really aren't that bad and that people are a victim of their circumstances. And even very violent people are uh, were probably doing the best they could with a situation handed them. And the problem with that is, is that I think in having prosecuted for a long time, and having defended people. Mm-hmm. I've defended criminals, uh, people charged with crimes. So I think the, the harsh truth that a lot of people don't want to know is that maybe 1% or maybe it's 1 in 10,000 human beings are so mean and so dangerous that you have to keep them in custody, certainly until they're tried, and if they're convicted, you need to keep them in custody as a jury or judge sentence them. They're too dangerous. Now, that's not the average person. It's not even the average criminal. But there are those that are simply too dangerous to be out free. Well, one of, and one of the things I saw reporting from public reaction is that, you know, people really are naive and innocent, and uh, they can't think the unthinkable. Well, these, these people commit acts that are unthinkable. Uh, Now, where you would see the realization come to really strike people would be in the juries in these trials, like the McDuff juries and other juries I was on where victims were dismembered and stuff. Oh, my gosh. When you saw the face of the jury members and you would see uh, members of the jury, men and women with tears in their eyes and weeping, you could tell they had no idea this stuff goes on. Because I always felt in in the media, particularly in television, We've, you know, we had strict decency standards, so we vanilla coded it. So our audience, and it happened in the papers, 
the audience in the public never really knew how bad it was unless they unless they read a book like Gary Laverne's about, you know, Bad Boy from Rosebud, Murderous Life of Kenneth McDuff. Boy, you get you get it in there. It's hard to turn some of those pages. That's right. You know, I've had juries in cases that came into court like everyone else, and perhaps of the 12 jurors, uh, six or eight or ten were like you're talking about. Rather, rather naive, uh, but good folks, and they were on the jury. And that same jury, after two or three days of trial and convicting someone in a number of my cases, the the look on their face changed and through the trial and they would enter the courtroom happy-go-lucky by the time it was over they were asking the marshal service to guard them all the way to their cars mm-hmm. that's how um bristled they were to the reality that they they found well but in these cases now there is a judge making the decision about bail how could they not know the consequences. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure they get it. Yeah. I was going to say I'm not sure they care, but that's. I don't. I hate to say that. Yeah. I'm not sure they get it that that there are some people that you just can't turn loose because they're almost certainly going to do it again. Well, you know, along the way, I would say that I, I would mention in speeches and talking to the public and other stuff that I had come face to face with Old Testament evil. And people would look at me like I, some people would look at me like, oh, you're, you're nuts. You're, you know, that's weird. But I'm like, you haven't seen what I've seen. You know, you haven't seen when the victim's family comes on the scene and finds their body and stuff. like. You haven't seen this. And then you, you don't know the details well, you, you said that uh, in television there were standards, and that's right. And uh, it's just like America was kept rather innocent mm-hmm. of not that World War II was happening, but the horrors, particularly in the Pacific. And they were kept innocent of that because it was so difficult, and it thought, many people thought it would just drain the country. But... That story took a long time to tell, and finally, in the series that came out on HBO called The Pacific, mm-hmm. it, they finally told in graphic detail what happened in the Pacific. Why did it take 50 or 60 years afterwards to tell that story? It's because it was so bad. Had we been better off knowing back then? I don't know. But about crime, about really bad, violent crime, we're not better off being innocent of it, being ignorant of it. We need to know. Okay, we're going to talk more about what you need to know. We're going to break for a message, and we'll be back in just a few seconds. So we were talking about, you know, crime, and it's just too awful to even consider, but you've got to think about it. One of the things that struck me about the parole board, and I don't know that it's changed. It was, you know, it was political appointments. But you put people on there that really knew nothing about the criminal mind. And and there wasn't any scientific principle, other principles, how do you study their records, to make some kind of judgment about just how risky are they to society. That seems to still be the missing link in all of this. Texas, for a long time, perhaps now, uh, the parole board membership was a political appointment of favor. Mm -hmm. It was a way of uh, rewarding some person 
uh, with a decent salary and a kind of easy job mm-hmm. because they don't really have parole hearings, so to speak. They really just review files. They don't. Yeah. They don't have much. It's. It can be very busy, of course. I'm not demeaning the job, but uh, I've had friends that have been on the parole board that were federal, uh, former federal probation officers and really understood criminals and understood mercy and understood justice. And just like you said, they've told me that a lot of these guys have no clue. They're so naive to what really happens, and uh, they would often review a file and not have an idea what it said. Right. Only one member would even talk to the— to the inmate, and there was really kind of never a matrix of what to evaluate. Um, and so you, you didn't have people like John Douglas from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit sitting down and asking questions because they get to it in, in no time. All right, so we're already seeing in Texas, Dallas, Houston, other places, violent crime rate starting to surge. R- reminds me just of the symptoms we saw coming out of the other are you think we're headed to bad times? Well, it can happen in two ways. You can do what happened during the McDuff years where they let violent people out of prison way too early and they start offending again. Or it can happen at the in the early phase, which is the bond phase. And it doesn't matter which phase. Mm-hmm. This per- Kenneth McDuff would have love to have been let out on bond uh, after being charged with killing three children in Fort Worth just as well as he wanted out early from prison. In other words, the person, the the killer, let's talk about killers. The killer is not really um, uh, discriminatory. He's glad to get out whenever he can, however he can. And the earlier he gets out, of course, the more he thinks, wow, nothing to that. Didn't get punished at all. And so as to killers, um, we may be headed in a time where uh, sexual assault and kidnapping and murder rates go up for a while until somebody realizes, and I say somebody, and I mean across our country in in areas where they're doing bail reform, as to violent criminals, uh, until someone realizes there's a, a direct consequence here of what you're doing, the person you let out has now killed someone and perhaps the reality will soak in or the voters will you know turn someone out that does that but yeah i think uh, we may be headed to a an early phase of that that is the letting killers out of jail quickly phase now one of their arguments about safety is is that oh they've got an electronic monitoring bracelet on i can't tell you the number of things that i saw you know a lot a lot of these people are ingenious you know, I've seen that, what they do in prison and making keys and, you know, what, what they do. And, and secondly, if they don't fool the system, and let's just say they leave the residence and the alarm goes off, who's coming? There's not any police for the monitors. It might be days because the police are already stressed. Their numbers are down. Uh, response times in Dallas are at all-time lows. So... That's the fallacy of that, oh, they're electronic monitors. Oh, really? Well, who's coming? That's right. You know um, that in the time after Kenneth McDuff, and I would really encourage people to listen to True Crime Reporter, That's that many-part series, it's unbelievable, about Kenneth McDuff, the manhunt, and so forth. Um, 
while once he was captured and I was investigating the parole board, I I realized by John Moriarty, who's one of the fellows you interviewed for that story, uh, that there was no body, that is to say, no agency, no personnel who were whose job it was to find absconding parolees. And there were thousands and thousands of parolees in Texas who had just quit showing up for parole. They just quit quit coming in, quit reporting. There was literally no agency looking for them. And so I was in Austin uh, one day on something, and I went by the governor's office. The governor back then was Ann Richards. And whether I agree with Ann Richards politically or not on anything she had guts, you know, yeah. she had guts well, and she, she would speak her mind. And, you know, I, I told her chief of law enforcement this idea. I said, why don't you put something together? It's called the governor's fugitive squad. Yes. And let's have yeah. some people. Here's how we can do it. And here's, I would, you know, you can get your list of three or 4,000 people you're looking for and sort them. And let's look for the murders first, sexual assault as right, right up with that. And they did. And, uh, and, and, in fact, Anna Richards, her first question was, what will that cost? The guy told her whatever. He, she said, do it. Do it. And within weeks, it was, all, it was up and going, and they started collecting these mur- murderers who'd absconded a parole by the dozens. So, yes, as to absconding people on bail, that is, people on bail that have used— you know, a nine-dollar uh, bolt cutter mm-hmm. and cut off their monitor. Yeah. It's yeah. really tough, you know. They figure that out, and there, there's no agency that's out there going, "Hey, man, five minutes ago, so and so happened. We better get out there." There's not, and the, we know the situation with police now and efforts to defund, and so you don't have uh, just a, a, a cornucopia of resources right now. So uh, I remember when the governor did that, and it was in response to McDuff and your suggestion and all. So I did what's called a ride-along. I spent a couple of weeks with these units uh, in Houston and Central Texas, and they would start at after midnight because they're going to find them all asleep. And it's the less chance for violence when they're asleep. Hey, throw a rock and you would hit one it was it was amazing how they were everywhere and there there were thousands and thousands, thousands. of them yeah. and it was fertile ground no one had ever looked for them they weren't yeah. even worried about it most of them didn't even care they, they were like yeah. no one's looking for me so it was so bad and so they were they were like look we've got to find a way, a, bi- a better way to do this and so john moriarty who is in true crime reporter he's the undercover prison investigator the New York Irish cop, you know, who, who when I met him, looked and talked like an inmate because he worked undercover, the only man to go undercover in the Texas prison system. He was a scary, scary-looking guy, but he could think like an inmate and all. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he set up sting operations, so they, they did all these lists of last known ad addresses and all and sent them out saying that they'd, won, they'd, they'd been in a lottery and they'd won football tickets to NFL games and, and sent those things out and you were to appear at this date at this location to pick up your, uh, 
your your tickets. Oh my God, Bill! They were lined up for blocks, for <laughs> blocks, and they would bring them in, and they had a receptionist. Hey, let me just ch- and let me just check. You know, if make you're, sure who you are that you've won it. <laughs> Can you show me your identification? They'd show their real identification and stuff, and then they'd go in this back room, and then there was takedown teams back there arresting him. And so, but one guy, as they're leading him out to the prison bus, says, well, what about my tickets? Where are my tickets? <laughs> we, well, we promised you a criminal, not a smart criminal. So, yeah, yeah they fell for it. But, that, but, but that, that gives you an idea of the volume, volume. of people they were I, trying to get. I know I'm laughing, but there were so, so many that it took it, – they started running to, uh, scams, uh, stings like this because try, there were so many trying to go out just with – Units in at night, they were like, we're overwhelmed. There, there may be now. I'm guessing, but it's an educated guess. Um, in Texas, um, a couple of thousand people that um, re- were released for violent mm-hmm. crimes that uh, said thanks a lot and didn't show up to court. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a guess. It's not an unreasonable guess across the country. How many more thousand? And again, we don't have John Moriarty now. We don't have that that cool guy that that knows how to get in there and do this. So um, hopefully, police will find them. But for the most part, what happens is, and a friend of mine's on a runs a fugitive uh, squad in Central Texas. They're not looking for those people. For the most part, they happen to find them. They happen to run across them. Uh, they run across in traffic stops and otherwise. But um, there are a few people that are very aware of the problem we're talking about. Uh, Central Texas is an example. They're aware of it, and they're trying to come up with answers to it. Well, what I found in my reporting, it is this, relatively speaking, small group of career violent criminals that are your problem, that are committing, that are responsible for the huge volume of crimes. I mean, some of these guys, it was amazing, you know, how many arm robberies and car thefts they had, you know. Uh, And... That's where the resources, when you put them there, paid off. And we did. We saw that we saw that crime rate plummet in the state. If you take action and lock up really violent people, there's less violence. That's always the way it's been. Again, it's not political in the least. It's a public safety issue. But if you can lock them up and make sure they get a fair and speedy trial so there's not a problem on that end, then things get better. Well, ironically, the judges that are letting them go on bail are the ones that aren't doing fair and speedy trials. You know, like, judge, what about, what are you doing with your docket here? Right. And it, and that's a that's a tough issue, issue of prioritization to some degree. Um, the people that, in some counties, the people that are held in jail, their trials are set substantially ahead of others, and they all should do that. So that you're not punishing someone for being detained, even a real violent person. You you got to give them that right to a trial, fair, speedy trial, so that you don't uh, end up, you know, punishing them that they're in custody. But you got to protect people from them, so you do it. Well, on that note, you got to protect people, make neighborhoods safer. But I really do believe, based on both of our experience, we're in for bad times because, again, if you don't know history, you're condemned to repeat it. That's this week's Justice Facts. Also, we want to encourage you to go listen to our other podcast, True Crime Reporter. Uh, They're on your favorite podcast apps. Justice Facts, True Crime Reporter. 
And if there's a topic or a crime or something you want us to talk about, take a look at, email us at fan at True Crime Reporter. Thank you. Justice Facts is co-hosted by Robert Riggs and Bill Johnston. Associate producer, Siler Burr. Original music by Blair King. Social media producer, Grace Woodward. Publicity, Tim Livingston, PR. Graphics, Brian David Kerr Designs. Additional music by Stan Woodward. Justice Facts is a copyrighted production produced by True Crime Reporter.